Father, we are reminded today, once again, as we come together, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. Lord, you are gracious God, heavenly Father, loving Lord, sovereign over all, holy, holy, holy are you. And Lord, we are made in your image to follow you, to reflect you to the world, to reflect the character of God to one another as a continuous reminder and rejoicing of your glory, of your worth, of your value. But Lord, we must confess that in this last week we have not imaged you well. There are times in our lives, there have been moments in our lives through our attitudes, through our actions, through our thoughts, through our deeds, that we have not lived up to the calling in which we have received in Christ. And Lord, we come to you and we confess our sins to you. Lord, not bringing any excuse, but just saying it like it is. We are sinners. And we are in need of your grace. But Lord, at the same time, we know that you on the confession of our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we come to together today and we declare all we have is Christ. And that is enough. Lord, for the blood of Jesus cleanses us from every one of our sins. And so, Lord, based upon faith in Jesus Christ and your perfect work for us on the cross, Lord, we confess our sins to you and we receive forgiveness and grace upon grace. Thank you, God, for being our great burden bearer. Because without the forgiveness of sins before you, who could stand? Certainly none of us. And Lord, we thank you that you give us your righteousness in place of our iniquities. Lord, we thank you that our burdens are lifted in your presence. Lord, I pray for power to live pleasing to your will and pleasing to you this week. By your Holy Spirit, thank you that we don't have to do it ourselves because you have sealed us with the promise of your, the precious Holy Spirit. And Lord, empower our lives to live for Jesus. And Lord, we do lift up our request to you today as well. Lord, we have many in our church who are hurting. Many in our church who need a touch from you. And so, Lord, we do lift up Renee to you, continuing to pray for her. We pray for her healing. Lord, we pray that you would be with her today. May your spirit be even in that hospital room. So, Lord, that they would know your presence, peace that passes all understanding, guarding their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray for her, the cells that you created, that Lord, you would give new life and even recreate cells to create more cells, platelets and other things that they are longing for. Lord, I pray that you would touch and you would work. Lord, we trust you in your hand, your good timing. Lord, we trust you. We pray for Scott Samuelson. We pray for his healing. 
Karen, we pray for her that you would encourage her. Lord, we pray for Scott Wells for his encouragement and for their whole family. Lord, we lift up others. We pray for Michelle as she's going to be having surgery this week. Lord, others, Lord, we pray for David. Lord, we pray for others who are anticipating surgery in the days ahead. Lord, we pray that you would work in every situation. Lord, I do pray for the situation in Ukraine as well. Lord, it's been weighing on many of our hearts. Lord, we pray for the believers there. You would help them to stay firm in the gospel. Help them to be salt and light. And Lord, we pray for a cessation of hostilities. Lord, we pray for peace in the world. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us now as we open your word. Lord, we want to hear from you today. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll go ahead and grab a Bible and open it to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 1. And reading through verse 10. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 1. Reading through verse 10. Such a blessing of our Lord that he's given us this year during these three weeks leading up to Easter that we would be considering the cross of Christ. And today I want to specifically think about the danger of halfway repentance. The danger of halfway repentance. As we consider Judas and the end of his life and also as we consider our need for Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 10. Matthew writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. When daybreak came, all the chief priests and all the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. After tying him up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. What's that to us, they said. See to it yourself. So he threw the silver into the temple and departed. Then he went and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver and said, It is not permitted to put it into the temple treasury since it is blood money. They conferred together and bought the potter's field with it as a burial place for foreigners. Therefore that field has been called blood field to this day. Then what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. They took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him who, whose price was set by the Israelites. And they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. Help me to preach this passage faithfully. And Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of those who do not yet know you as Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray for those who know you already, who are already believers, Lord, that we would be encouraged in Christ. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was growing up, one of the things that would get us in the most trouble with Mama was doing anything halfway. So if we, if we washed the dishes, if we took the dishes out of the dishwasher and put them on the shelves and did not load the dishwasher after having removed the clean dishes from the dishwasher, that would cause us to be in trouble. 
If we folded the clothes but did not put them away into the drawers, that was halfway doing something that would cause us to experience the wrath of mama. (laughs) Or if she saw that all of the clothes were just stuffed into one drawer trying to get the drawer closed, it didn't matter what drawer they went into. Indeed, if she found this out, that would cause us to experience not a very good evening. If we said we had homework and all we did was our math and she said, are you finished with your homework? And we said, yes, can I go outside and play? We go outside and play and then come back home and say, oh yeah, I forgot about English. That would incur the wrath of mama. She raised children who she taught us not to leave tasks half done. Now it's one thing to not put the socks away and that's, that's pretty serious at least in mama's eyes. (laughs) It's one thing to leave socks out, but it's an entirely different thing that we're talking about today. Halfway repentance. Halfway repentance. For those of you who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, my encouragement for you today is I encourage you to trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord to repent, to turn away from your sins. We'll talk about more of what that means here in a moment, but it means to turn away from yourself, to turn away from your sins, to turn away from going your own way and go God's way instead. But we as believers also, I want to issue to you as well a call to repentance. Because repentance is not something that you did once when you trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's not something that you did on that day, perhaps that you recorded at the front of your Bible that day when you trusted in Jesus and you were saved. No, that was the day you began to repent. And repentance is a regular attitude of those who are in Christ. It is the heart of every believer as the Spirit reveals areas in our lives that are not yet like Jesus, that are not yet conformed to the image of Christ, that are not yet the way Jesus would want them to be in our lives. When Jesus reveals those areas in our lives, our heart's desire is to turn away from our sins and turn to Jesus, confessing our sins and receive mercy and grace at His hand. So today I want to warn you, about halfway repentance. I want to get caught up with the storyline where we are here in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 26, we see that Jesus was making preparations for the Last Supper, and as Jesus was making preparations for this meal where he was going to change the meaning of the elements of the Passover and say, yes, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This represents the blood that I will shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As he was making the preparation for that supper, which we would remember regularly as a church, Judas at the same time was working to betray Jesus to the hands of the chief priests and the elders. Jesus gathered the disciples, even Judas at the Last Supper together as he taught them about the sacrifice that he would become the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Judas went out into the night from the middle of that supper. Jesus finished the supper, led his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, to that very place where Jesus was betrayed with a kiss. Betrayed by one of his best friends with a sign of affection. Then at that moment began two trials. 
a series of two trials, each of those trials having three parts. And so if you've ever wondered about what the trials of Jesus and how all that works out, we looked at this last week by way of reminder. Jesus went through a Jewish trial and he also went through a Roman trial, each of those trials having three parts. The Jewish trial had the trial before Annas, the trial before Caiaphas, and then the judgment at daybreak. We have parts two and three of the Jewish trial recorded here in Matthew. Part one, the trial before Annas, you see in the book of John, John chapter 18. You can read about it there. And what we see here in our passage where we break into the storyline today from verse one, we see when daybreak came, the first three words of chapter 27. The chief priests and the elders are gathered all together, plotting against Jesus to put him to death. And then they tie up Jesus. Did you catch that at the beginning of verse 2? They didn't have to tie him up. Jesus was willingly giving his life as a ransom for us all. What we will see is they are tying him up. They delivered the verdict of guilty, but they knew they did not have the authority in that day in order to crucify or execute somebody, to execute judgment on somebody. So that's why they bring him over to Pilate because only Pilate, only the Romans had the ability, had the authority in order to crucify someone. So they delivered him as guilty in their eyes over to Pilate to try to convince Pilate to execute this one they perceived as a threat. But at the same time, we know it is the plan of God for the foundation of the world to save us from our sins as Jesus would die on the cross on our behalf. But here in this passage, we see, beginning in verse 3, the last hours of Judas's life. And here, from verse 3 through verse 10, we learn some lessons. We get a warning that jumps off of this page into our souls, we get a warning about halfway repentance. Three aspects to this warning about halfway repentance I want you to see today. First of all is this. Halfway repentance produces sorrow, but not change. Halfway repentance produces sorrow, but not change. In verse 3, we see that Judas the betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned. He is seeing the outcome of his actions played out right in front of us. He must have been hanging out somewhere around Caiaphas's house. We're not sure if this is a chronological arrangement of these events or if Matthew is arranging things topically here. It doesn't really matter, but what happened? Judas is hanging out, seeing what's happening to Jesus, seeing what's happening to this one whom he walked with for three years, this one whom he heard preach the words of life, seeing him bound seeing him tied up, seeing him delivered over to Pilate to be executed. And in these moments, as he lurked into the shadows, not being called as a witness to the trial because of his betrayal of the Christ, as he lurks in the shadows, he feels a new emotion. There's something different that begins to well up within Judas's soul as he sees the face of Jesus bloodied from being a punching bag of the Jewish people. 
as he looks into the face of this Savior who cannot move his hands because they are tied up behind his back. And as he is led away to be executed, to receive the judgment from Pilate, it says there in verse 3 that Judas feels remorse. That Judas feels sorrow. Perhaps he thought Jesus at this moment would lead the insurrection that he had longed to bring about. Perhaps in those moments, Judas thought, now Jesus is going to lead the revolution against Rome. But in those moments, no, Jesus was leading leading a much greater revolution. It was a revolution against sin. It was a revolution against death. He was going to overthrow a much greater tyranny than that of Rome. He was going to overthrow the tyranny of the devil. But in that moment... Judas felt sorrow. Now, if you read this in the King James, you'll see that it actually uses the word repent, that Judas Judas felt repentance in that moment, but it's actually not the normal word that's used for repentance in the Bible. The normal word that's used for repentance in the Greek language is the word metanoeo. Metanoeo. It means change your mind, changing of your thought patterns. What metanoeo really means is if you're going your own way and you find out I'm going my own way, you turn around and you go God's way instead. You agree with God that you're heading in the wrong direction. You turn around and you go God's direction instead. That's metanoeo. That's the biblical word for repentance, what the Bible calls us to. But that is not the word that's used here in this passage. That is not what Judas is doing here in this passage. Judas does not do metanoeo. What Judas does here in this passage is he does metamelomai. Metamelomai is the word that is used here in this passage of Judas. It simply means he was sad. He was sad. He was remorseful. He knows he has done wrong. He feels the weight of his guilt, but there is no change in his life. There is no change in his heart. Listen, there is a huge difference in sorrow for being caught and sorrow over your sins. There is an eternal difference between sorrow for being caught and sorrow for what somebody might think about you because what you have done might now be known and repentance and sorrow for sin. 2 Corinthians brings this out for us, this difference for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 says it like this. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance. There's a godly kind of grief. That kind of godly grief produces repentance. Metanoel, a change of mind where you go a different direction. You stop going your way and you go God's way. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Oh, a living a life without regret. That sounds, that sounds glorious, doesn't it? That's like gospel. <laughs> but... There's another kind of sorrow. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. The Bible says that we can feel grief in a worldly kind of way. What is worldly grief? Worldly grief is an expression of regret over opportunities lost, painful present circumstances, or perhaps personal embarrassment 
That's worldly grief. We regret getting drunk on the weekend, so we, and then we blow the test on Monday. That's worldly regret. We're sorry that we gambled away $10,000 over at the casino. Wish we hadn't, but continue in the same patterns. That's worldly regret. We regret treating our spouse the same way we have done hundreds of times before, promising once again it will be different. That's worldly regret. That's worldly sorrow. That's grieving that you acted the same way with the same results, but not seeking change, not seeking the power of change from the one who can help you and empower you to change, and that is Christ by His Spirit. We feel bad in all of these situations, all of these examples, but the regret might not have any spiritual dimension to it. That's the difference between godly repentance and worldly grief. We might just regret getting caught. We might regret hurting ourselves. We might regret looking bad. That's Judas. That's the issue here. Worldly grief owes to one of two causes. One, we lose something that is very dear to us. I regret that I lost money. I regret that I lost opportunity. I regret that I lost reputation. I regret that I lost recognition or perhaps a fear or a desire to look good in the opinion of others. And when you lose that, that can cause grief. But the problem of that is that is not grief which leads you to want to be right with God. That's the difference. Worldly grief has to do with pride, has to do with ego, has to do with humiliation. It cares about man's opinion instead of God's. And we, care, we feel terrible because people around us think we are silly or think that we are stupid. We feel that we're sorry, we're sorry for the past because we no longer th- people will no longer think of us as highly as they once did. We are distressed over these things. Why? Because really the source of our grief in those moments is really that we love the praise of man. And when it feels like the love of our soul with the praise of man is threatened, that leads us to a grief that is not grief that leads to repentance. That is a grief that 2 Corinthians 7.10 says leads to death. It's not godly repentance. I love what Dane Ortland said. He says the following. He says, The keeping up of appearances is an exhausting way to live. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> This is an exhausting way to live and can lead to the despair that leads to death. That's what we see here in the life of Judas. We don't see real repentance. Worldly grief is not good grief because it leads to death. Worldly grief does not allow us to see that our offense is against God. Ultimately, that our sin needs to be dealt with not just in a horizontal direction, but in a vertical direction. Here is the essential problem of our sin. Every single one of you was created in the image of God. 
All of us are created to be mirrors that reflect the glory of God back to God to be praising and honoring to Him, but not only reflecting the glory of God back to God for His worship, but also reflecting the glory of God to the world around us so that when people look at those made in His image, people would know something of the glorious God who created us to image Him. And when we sin, it's like taking a hammer to the mirror and smashing it. And the Bible says we are all sinners. And the reason why sin is so heinous, why sin is so utterly sinful, is because we are saying as images of God when we sin, we are saying something about God that isn't true. We're saying something about God that's blasphemous to the character of God, the Holy righteous God. And so when our concern is only horizontal, when our concern is only what other people might think about us, we're not dealing with in our anguish at that moment over our sin, we're not dealing with the ultimate one whom we have offended in those moments. And the ultimate offense, all sin, no matter who it is against, no matter what the sin is in our life, ultimately all of our sin is against a holy God's and that is why repentance that is only sorrowful for what it does to our reputation is not dealing with the core issue. And that is our sin is an affront to God. Halfway repentance produces sorrow, but not change. Let me ask you, what kind of grief over sin do you have in your life? Do you have godly grief leading you to repentance, a change of mind, and a change of life? Or are you grieved that you got caught? Are you grieved that there might be consequences? Number two, how else does this passage reveal halfway repentance to us with this warning? Number two, halfway repentance seeks to salve your conscience, but not reconcile with God. It seeks to make you feel better, but not deal with your relationship with God. Judas gets to the temple and he wants to give the money back to the chief priest the 30 pieces of silver that he'd been paid for betraying Jesus. And it's interesting, 30 pieces of silver, that was the common price for a slave in those days. Not a high price. Jesus sold his soul, or Judas sold his soul to the devil. Judas even begins with a confession. Look at this confession in verse 4. His confession begins with these words, I am have sinned. We, we could put that on the board in quotes. We could put it on the screen in quotes on the PowerPoint and say, I have sinned, in quote, dash Judas. You probably wouldn't have guessed that was somebody who said that. Recognizing, even recognizing the acknowledgement that you have sinned is not necessarily the sign of true repentance. Let me give you some evidence. There are others in Scripture who say the same exact words. I have sinned. Example A, Pharaoh. When Pharaoh is confronted by Moses and the plagues, very early on in the series of the plagues that God sends His judgment against Egypt, one of the confessions of Pharaoh is, I have sinned. But Pharaoh did not get right with God. Think about Balaam. 
Numbers chapter 23 and 24, just read it in my devotion, in my Bible reading this past week. Balaam, when his donkey starts talking to him, and I'm amazed he starts talking back. I'm like, ah, what happened? <laughs> I've never heard donkey talk to me. Right? <laughs> but as the donkey starts talking to him, what is, and he sees the angel, God opens his eyes, he sees the angel there. What is Balaam's first words? Balaam's words is, I have sinned. Now, Balaam does right, and he doesn't curse the people of God. He blesses them, but later on, Balaam doesn't keep going that way, and eventually he's judged. We see it also in Saul. Saul, when he is confronted with hastily offering the sacrifice, he says, I have sinned, but he's not really concerned about sinning against God. He's concerned about getting caught in that moment. Simply acknowledging that you have sinned is only halfway repentance. It's not full-fledged repentance that the Bible talks about. We see others in Scripture who are good examples of who have said these same words. After David is confronted of his sin with Bathsheba by the prophet Nathan, David confesses, I have sinned. And his soul then goes on a journey of getting right with God. We see that not, also, not only in David, but we also hear that those three words, I have sinned on the lips of the prodigal son. When the prodigal comes back, comes to his senses and goes back home, the very first words out of his mouth to his dad is, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That is real repentance. That's the problem here with Judas. There's a recognition that he has sinned by betraying innocent blood, but there is no indication of desire in this passage to get right with Jesus or to get right with God. To get right with Jesus or to get right with God. If he'd be concerned about forgiveness for his sin and he really believed in the Lord, he would have approached Jesus. He would have approached the Lord. He would have repented. He would have confessed his sin. True confession and repentance involves sorrow for sin, yes. It involves recognizing your sin, yes. But it also involves going to God, not just seeking to salve your conscience to make you feel better, but it involves going to God and recognizing God against you. David said, against you, you only have I sinned. I have sinned against heaven. I have defamed your name and I need your grace. And that is why you need the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. All sin is ultimately against God and is ultimately God who must provide a way for us to be forgiven of our sin. And listen, that is the good news of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, because of His sacrifice, because He hung on that cross as the Lamb of God, bleeding for our sins, because Jesus died, paying for sin's price, rising again from the grave, when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we repent of our sins, the Bible says through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven and all of your sin is wiped out. All of your sin is taken care of on the cross of Christ. That isn't halfway repentance. That is full-fledged, full-orbed repentance. 
Who needs this? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, all have, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. All of us are in need of repentance. All of you are in need of being right with God. And remember, that is also, that is, that is for the person who has never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Your ultimate need right now is to be right with God. That is the ultimate need of your soul, the ultimate need of your life, the ultimate need of your eternity. One day you will stand before God. And the question is, will you be right before God? Will you be reconciled to God? Has the judgment for your sin already been poured out? And the good news, if you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, all of your sin has been dealt with on the cross by faith. For believers, those of us who trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord, our continual heart is to go back to the Lord when we recognize the sinfulness in our lives, when Jesus shows us by His grace places in our lives that are still broken mirrors and He wants to mend that. He wants to put that back together. We take that back to God. We repent of our sins. We say, I'm going my own way. I need to go your way. And, and we go Jesus' way. And we say, Lord, by the power of Your Spirit, I need Your help. I cannot do it on my own. None of you can. I can't either. But by your power, by your spirit, by your grace, change my heart, oh God. I want to be more like Jesus now more than ever. And help me to be more like your son. That's real repentance. What is real repentance? Real repentance involves sorrow for sin. It involves turning away from your sin, seeking reconciliation with the one you've sinned against, and reconciling with God by throwing yourself upon the mercy and grace of Christ. That is real repentance. I want to give you a gift today as well. Actually, Hassan, thank you, Hassan. Hassan wants to give you a gift. Hassan graciously provided with us with a book. I'd like to give a copy to everybody here. You first take one per family, and if we have left, you can take as many as you want. If you want to hand them out, great. But this book is called Repentance. It's by J.C. Ryle. I highly commend this book to you. It says, it, the subtitle is, What It Means to Repent and Why We Must Do So. can go much more into what we're talking about today. And I love this book too. The other reason I like this book is because it's 48 pages. <laughs> you can get a lot of good stuff in a short read here. So I encourage you to pick that up and let God work this into your soul, this need for continual repentance. Finally, number three. Number three is this. Halfway repentance leads to death. Halfway repentance leads to death. The chief priests in their own sinful neglect of Judas's soul reject him. Judas at that moment rejected this tragic figure. We know Judas at this moment is, is possessed. He's full of Satan at this moment. Luke tells us Satan entered into Judas. And then Judas throws the temple or throws the silver into the temple and then he dies by suicide dies under his own hand it's the tragic end of Judas in this world as he is ushered into a Christless eternity sin drove Judas to madness now one of the things I want to point out here is sometimes professors at universities or those who are agnostics or who question the Bible will sometimes point to this passage and then compare it to the book of Acts and say there's discrepancies here. 
Why are there discrepancies? Let's look at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 18 to 19 says this. Now this man acquired a field, Judas acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell headfirst, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that in their own language, they call, that field is called Hakadama, which is the field of blood. So which is it? Who bought the field? Did Judas buy the field, or did the chief priest, like Matthew says, buy the field? Who bought the field? Well, the chief priest took Judas's money, that is rightfully Judas's money, and went and bought that field. So in that day, you could say the chief priest bought the field, and you would be correct. You could say Judas bought the field as Judas's money. That would also be correct. And so this is not some error that's in the scripture. Second thing people point to sometimes is how did Judas die? Some people say, well, Matthew says he died by suicide. And then in the book of Luke, it says he died by suicide, but he didn't hang himself. He threw himself off the cliff. Which one is correct? Well, they're both correct together. The way Judas died is he hung himself on the edge of a cliff. And then it appears that the branch or the rope broke. And then you see the rest of what happened in the book of Acts. So we can see here once again, this is not something to read and say, oh, I can check out on the Bible. Oh, no. You read this passage and you should see your own need for repentance and grace. Your own need for Jesus. Now I want to say a word, a pastoral aside, just for a moment about the issue of suicide. And I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you that suicide is not the unpardonable sin, but it is a sin. And I want to encourage you as someone who has had friends and teachers, a teacher, and family members who have, who have died by suicide, that it's never the answer. It's not the answer. It won't deliver the peace that you think it will bring. And you have people around you that love you. There are people all around you who love you. There are people all around here in this room. There are hundreds of people who care for you and who love you as part of this church and would love nothing more than to care for your soul to help you walk through whatever it is that you're in anguish with, whatever it is that you see as a hopeless situation, whatever it is that you say, I can't get out of this. This is the only way. And you feel desperate. And I want to encourage you. We're there for you. And we love you. And we want to be there. We're just reach out. And there's not only me, but Scott or, or Travis, or not just, not just the pastors. I mean, there's a lot of people here that would love nothing more than to care for your soul. Know you're not alone. Know that it's not the answer. Know that we'll not deliver you the peace that you so long for. I don't encourage you, don't give up. There is no sin that you have done that can keep you from the love of God and that can, can keep you from the love of God's family. So let me encourage you, reach out for help. As their passage ends today, we see that Judas, Judas this one, who had this deep, close, personal relationship with Jesus, the incarnate son, he saw God's love and compassion and power and kindness and forgiveness and grace. He walked with Jesus for three years. He saw it right in front of him. He saw Jesus heal. He saw Jesus raise the dead. He, he saw Jesus sleep in the middle of a storm. Knowledge of salvation 
without application of salvation is halfway repentance and will not lead you to eternal life. Just because you know all the answers doesn't mean the answer has taken residence in your soul. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sin and be saved. The last observation I want to make of this passage is one more reality that some would sometimes point to and say, oh, look, there's an error in the Bible. Don't believe it. (laughs) Sometimes they'll look at the last verse and say, oh, it quotes Jeremiah. That quote is not from Jeremiah. It is from Zechariah with some Jeremiah meshed in there. They would be right. The quote is primarily from Zechariah, but it does include some elements of Jeremiah in there. It's not word for word Jeremiah. It's not word for word Jeremiah. It's kind of a mashup of both ideas from both books of the Bible. So why doesn't Matthew mention Zechariah? Why does he say this is from Jeremiah? Here's the reason why. In that particular day, there's two major reasons. One reason is this. One reason is that when there was mashup of prophetic utterances from the Old Testament, when he's trying to show you something that Jesus fulfilled in the Old Testament, they would often mention the more prominent prophet and assume that as a summary of the two. So in this moment, he is saying Jeremiah as a summary of the two. Not only that, if you looked at the particular scroll that contained the writings of Jeremiah and the writings of Zechariah, they were part of one scroll and Jeremiah was the first one. He's saying, go look at the Jeremiah scroll and you'll find this there. There's not an error in Scripture. In fact, right here, we have the very Word of God that calls us all to experience the repentance and grace in Christ Jesus. That's why I want to end today with this verse, Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. I love that. That seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together and then we'll meditate just for a moment on these things and we'll respond together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is so powerful. It speaks to our souls and it convicts us. It corrects us. It trains us and shows us the way of righteousness. Lord, even as I've been preaching, I've even been convicted and and corrected in my own soul of my own continuing regular need for repentance. Lord, all of us in this passage have been reminded by the Holy Spirit of of areas in our lives that are not pleasing to you. And Lord, we not only feel sorrow for that, but we recognize our need to be right with God. And Lord, we thank you that our rightness with God does does not depend upon our own righteousness, but upon the righteousness of Jesus and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, empower us by your Spirit to turn to Jesus in faith, repenting of our sins, turning away from ourselves, trusting in Jesus, saying we are grieved that we've gone our own way and we want to go the Jesus way. Empower us, Lord. Lord, we want to live for Jesus. We want to be right with you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Spend a moment. I want to encourage you to think about your particular response to this passage.